Today's episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Undead Cat Thanksgiving. Undead Cat Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving's Day for cats, but only if they came back from the dead. Hello and welcome to Pod Cemetery. What is Pod Cemetery? And who are we? My name is Kelsey and this is Chris talking with me. Why don't you say hi, Chris? Hi, Chris. Uh-huh. This is our new uh, podcast that we are going to do. We decided that we both love horror movies so much and we talk about them so much, just the two of us and with our friends, that we should share what we have to say about them. And it should be noted that... Kelsey and I love movies in general and other such things, but surprisingly, even though we consume a mass amount of them, our favorite genres and so on tend not to align. I'm a big comedy buff, and Kelsey's not so much. She says More she of a is. Drama girl. Yes, no, absolutely. And uh, so, where were they really, really overlap? The the crossover in the Venn diagram of movies that we like is absolutely horror movies. Yes, and so we decided that we're going to talk about two movies a week: one modern horror movie and one classic horror movie, so that you, the listeners, can get a taste for all of the screams throughout the years. <laughs> and what, pray tell, constitutes a modern horror movie? It, we decided, okay, so this was based on Christine. Completely arbitrary. <laughs> this is based on a horror movie, which we do plan to cover later on in the series. Um, Christine, who says, incorrectly I might add, that once something is 20 years old? I think. We didn't actually watch it again, <laughs> so I think it's 20 years old. Uh, uh, it's officially an antique. Do you realize she's 20 years old? I mean, that makes her officially an antique. Yes, an antique. And you can't see it, but Chris does the little movement with his hands just like he does in Christine. So if you've not seen Christine, we highly recommend we're, it. We're absolutely going to cover Christine. It's one of our favorite movies. We absolutely love it. <laughs> so, yes, 20 years, that's our cutoff. So anything 2008, since this is starting 2000, or sorry, 2008. Oh, my God. Oh, I feel so old. Uh, anything... 1998 and afterwards we're going to consider modern anything 1997 and earlier we're going to consider classic now that's going to make uh some really weird cutoffs there are going to be some things like uh i think i we made the list and i don't remember off the top of my head but i think scream is considered a classic by that logic it is and so we're just going to have to deal with that okay 20 years ago is a very long time and the way we make Horror movies now versus the way we made them back when Scream was made uh, are completely different. Um, But there is no front end to that. We're going to go back as far as we possibly can. uh, That is to say movies we're actually interested in or enjoy. So uh, it's going to go back the entire history of cinema all the way to 1997. Um, And so we'll do one from modern, one from classic, and... uh, also, we might even do end up, actually, we're definitely going to end up doing uh, double features. So, oftentimes, horror movies, probably more so than any other genre, get remade uh, quite a bit. Recently, the movie It came out, 
And that was a TV miniseries. So, yes, we will be doing some TV series, not many, because first of all, there aren't that many uh, horror TV series in the first place. But secondly, we did want this to be more about movies, but we are big Stranger Things fans, which is what we, which was our first like, okay, but we have to do Stranger Things. And then... We started to think about other ones that we could do, but it won't be that many. But yes, something like It and It, we will be doing the movie versus the uh, TV series. And if doing a double feature means we're going to have to cross that classic modern antique line, uh, then so be it. You're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, Going, playing a little fast and loose with that line and playing a little fast and loose with our definition of horror movie. That is true. We are going to be doing some that you, the listener, might not have thought of as a horror movie, but we will make the case for why they are considered a horror movie. Yes. And what Chris was just saying about some of them not being quite at the 20-year mark, that is true. Specifically, the first one that comes to mind is The Blair Witch Project, which I am nearly sure. It's like 99? 99, which means that it doesn't quite hit it. But we do have The Woods, which is actually pretty decent so we're going to be doing those two later on in the series yes and uh to the genre thing uh personally two of my favorite movies of all time are jaws and alien and i know a lot of people that disagree with me that they are horror movies and we will get into we that, will get when, into we, that. when we actually talk about those but absolutely let's get started on our first one. all right so the first movie we watched was the eponymous pet cemetery based on a book written by stephen king We've seen a lot of these. We've seen a lot of these movies, horror movies, based on books by Stephen King. When I refer to Stephen, um, I will be re- I will be talking about Stephen King. I consider him and I on a first name basis. So Stephen, if you ever do listen to this, um, hi. Uh, I love. I read a lot of his books, and we've lo- seen a lot of his adaptation films and TV series, despite having some of them be not so great. Oh no, some, a lot of them. A lot of them are not so great. <laughs> So if you haven't seen Pet Cemetery yet, you can go ahead and pause right here. Go back, go back, go wherever you need to go and watch the movie. Uh, we actually found it, um, of all places, on YouTube yes. right there. So if you want to watch it on YouTube, maybe you can. We are absolutely not advocating that you not pay for the movie. <laughs> but go ahead and pause right now and and watch it and then come on back and we'll discuss Pet Cemetery 1989. What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is Church all right? Why, Judd? I have no reasons. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts best not thought of. Daddy's gonna do something really bad! You're thinking of putting him up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror, Pet Cemetery. Okay, so Kels, 
What do you think this movie was about? Overall, what do I think? What's the pl- Tell me the plot. The plot. I would say it is about a family that moves to a farmhouse, though they never really explain why. And um, they've got a little girl and a baby boy. And um, the little girl has a cat that she absolutely loves. She is literally obsessed with her cat to the point of... I'm almost confused because I love animals as as much as anybody and she just nothing everything is about the cat. Anyway, so they live in this farmhouse which is right in front of a road which for whatever reason has a whole heck of a lot of trucks, huge semi trucks going at obnoxiously fast speeds and um as soon as they move there their kid wanders into the street, and it's it's known pretty quickly, hey, if you don't watch your kid, he might go into the street and get hit by a giant semi-truck that is going at an obnoxiously fast speed. So, maybe you should watch your kids. <laughs> anyway, um, so we have this happy family. They meet the old guy across the street who has a ridiculous Maine accent. And if you don't know what I mean, I'm sure that we will be giving you examples. Oh, absolutely. Throughout. Judd Crandall. I live just across the road. You want to watch out that road. And, um... Do you know he... what this gentleman's name is? I do not. His name is Fred Gwynn. Ah. Do you know what he's from? I definitely recognized him, but no, I don't know. Really? Fred Gwynn? Yeah. Um, okay. There is a movie that won an Oscar that a lot of people didn't think should have won an Oscar about a lawyer in a small hick town, but he's a fast-talking lawyer and he's related to the defendant. And My Cousin Vinny? Yes. So do you know who Fred Gwynn was in My Cousin Vinny? Was he the judge? He was the judge in My Cousin Vinny. Is one of the last things he did, actually, before he passed away. He is, sadly... Deceased. Uh, he was also, of course, Herman Munster from the Munsters. That's what I know yeah. him from. Uh, that's what most people know him from. I figure I dropped the My Cousin Vinny, though. Um, speaking of cast, who's the mom? Oh, she's on Star Trek. She's the one that nobody likes. She dies at some point, I think. Yes, Tasha Yar. <laughs> Tasha Yar. I think that's she's Tasha Yar, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's Tasha Yar. Um, and she does. She gets killed off really, really early in the series because she wanted to go on and do, like dramatic stuff in this case movies and tv shows and and this is about as far as she got so go ahead and the husband for all (laughs) those of you who don't know um has a part in an amazing film called love potion number nine amazing film and you should definitely check it out but anyway to finish up my my wrap-up of the story so um let's see um they meet this guy, he's this nice old guy, and he takes them to see a pet cemetery, which is, you know, everyone's fun outing of a picnic day. Okay, you're being a Denise Crosby right now. How she is all disturbed by the pet cemetery and how well, inappropriate it's an it is. Odd thing to show children. Yes, well, Fred Gwynn, he does have a nice little chat with the daughter about how it's a place for rest and it's a good place. It's a place where you can come and visit. And the dead talk. Speak. The dead speak. The dead speak is what he yeah, says. Yeah, uh-huh. But should we, should we talk about other things? Because I feel like I'm about to give away 
No, go through the whole plot. Go through the whole plot. Go through okay. the whole plot. All right. Listen, we gave you your opportunity to watch this movie. It's true. So, um, anyway, long story short, the cat ends up dying, but the, the mom and the kids are gone. So, old guy across the street is like, hey, man. Let me show you another road. Oh, uh, we don't go down that road. <laughs> that road. Um, he, I counted it. He says road nine times. There's that damn road. No. Nine you stopped times. counting. No. Mm-mm. That's it. Oh, man, I'm a little disappointed. But in the beginning, he says it like five times real fast. Right. It's <laughs> like every other word in his yes. first few lines. Yeah. But anyway, so um, he takes him to another burial ground, the Indian burial ground, and has him bury the cat without really explaining why. And, yes. This This is the worst part. He doesn't even explain it to him. He's just like, bury him here. (laughs) So then uh, the cat comes back, (coughs) and he is obviously changed for the worse. He hisses and scratches and bites Etc. And his eyes are all crazy. Um, And so the guy from Love Potion Number Nine, the father, goes to the old guy and he's like, What's up, man? What happened? And then the old man decides to explain Yes, when you bury creatures there, they come back to life, but they have changed and are now clearly evil. Right. John, come and get your dog! Lot came back all right. It was never quite the same dog that I knew. Why the fuck wouldn't he say that before having him put an animal in the ground? Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. What's his dog's name? Do you remember? Spot. Spot. Do you know why that's significant? I don't know. Uh, Spot was the name of the family pet on the Munsters. Oh. Yeah, it's I, it's. I think it's the thing that lives under the stairs that just makes noise and. You never actually see. Maybe it's tentacled. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen Pretty sure the tentacled creature that you never see was on the Adam's family. family. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, the family pet in the Munsters was Spot. Okay, so Spot came back and was obviously evil. And when the father asks him, why did you have me do this? He says, well, this is going to help your daughter come to accept its death. Ben doesn't always know why he does things, Lewis. I think I did it, because your daughter ain't ready for her favorite pet to die. Maybe with more time, she'll learn what death really is, which is where the pain stops and the good memories begin. What? Makes zero sense. Like, she wasn't ready to, for her her favorite cat to die, you know, she was too young. Anyway. Uh, Yeah. So then he asks him, has anyone ever uh, buried a human in there? Which he says, no, why would anyone do that? Hmm, I wonder why. So. Foreshadowing. Right. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? Christ on his throne, no. Whoever would. Mom and family come back. The cat's obviously weird, but the daughter doesn't seem to notice, even though it's her favorite thing in the fucking world. Cut to a little while later, they're all having a lovely picnic, you know, right in front of the road Uh that has obnoxiously fast uh, trucks coming down that road. Seriously. I'm sorry, down what road? Down that road. (laughs) 
Which seriously, guys, it it doesn't make sense. Why would anyone drive that fast in a semi-truck? Semi-truck. And also, you already knew that it was a problem. The cat died. Your kid already wandered into the street and almost got hit by a truck. Why the hell wouldn't you be watching your kids like a hawk? So I actually wrote that down. It was one of the first notes that I put down was uh, first thing on the honeydew list, build a fucking fence. <laughs> like that could solve all of your problems. Just build a fucking fence. Yes. Um, so then the kid gets hit by the truck and dies. The kid. What's the kid's name? Gage. Gage Creed. Who the fuck is their kid I Gage? Know. Gage Creed. So, hey, there might be a Gage listening right now. If you are listening and your name is Gage, I do apologize. <laughs> but Gage Creed is an obviously made up name. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for the name. And he was played by Miko Hughes. Do you know what else Miko was in? I definitely recognized him. Do you recognize him from another horror movie? Maybe. Do you recognize him from a Freddy movie? No. He was in New Nightmare. That's all. <laughs> oh, was he the child? Yes. That makes sense. In New Nightmare, yeah. Uh, guys, if you have not watched this movie, this kid is pretty phenomenal. He's at, like, I don't know, what, three years old? He was 33 months old. So he was less than three years old. I don't know what they did to get this kid evoke emotion. Oh no, he is he is incredible. He's phenomenal for how young he is. And and I think at least like he is the template for the creepy kid voice because you hear a lot of like creepy kid voices, you know, like sing songy little kid voice, come out and play. <laughs> and it's like you don't know where it's coming from and 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 it's really really dialed up with all the effects on the voice and it's a spooky kid's voice and it's really overblown. No, watch this movie and do it the way Gage does it. Like he he is really really good. You want a tiny child to sound creepy? Gage does. It's perfect. I love it. First I played with Dad. Then Mommy came and I played with Mommy. We played, Daddy. We had an awful good time. Now I want to play with you. He does. And um, so I'm guessing that you can guess what happens next. Oh, and we forget to mention the dead guy, the dead teenager. We also didn't mention that the father is a doctor. And that is why on his very first day at this in this new town... Oh, that's the dead teenager you're talking about. Yes, okay, there it. was a teenager who got struck by another one of those crazy trucks. Um, and he tried to save him. He tried very hard to save him. And so the, the teenager comes back as a ghost to try and help the family avoid the tragedy that they eventually fall. Yeah, okay. So let's stop here and talk about this a little bit. First of all... This random guy who's dying, uh, he says something that doesn't make any sense that Judd, Fred Gwynn's character, ends up saying later in the movie. For no reason. He has no association with the doctor. It's just, you know what? You tried to save me and failed, I might add. <laughs> so I'm going to try and save you. But he has some sort of foreknowledge that something bad is going to happen. So he pops up, tries to warn off the dad, tries to uh, warn the mom that something bad is going to happen. But also, in addition to that, there is a character in this movie that is in almost every Stephen King story. Do you know what archetype I am talking about? Well, it reminded me a lot of The Shining of... Uh... Oh, 
Are you talking about the psychic child? There is a psychic child in almost every single Stephen King story for no good goddamn reason. But he's not a psychic child. He comes no. back as a ghost. She is. She knows that her cat died and that the dad buried oh, the you're cat. Right. Okay, for the no daughter, reason. It doesn't contribute to the story at all. So the daughter has <coughs> dreams about things that are going to happen. Um, but yes, as Chris pointed out, it it has no effect on the story whatsoever. She's just like, hey, I dreamt that my cat died. And he's like, no, it didn't. She's like, cool. And then later she's like, I don't think we should leave him alone with Gage's dead body because I dreamt something bad happened. He goes, no, nothing's going to happen. She goes, cool. And that's it. Right. She <laughs> loses her mind while they're at while they're at her grandparents' house. But it's fine. Like, it could have happened any other way. Like, it absolutely was unnecessary. But he just can't help himself. But he it, needs to put a psychic kid in every one of his stories. Absolutely. But so this uh, dead teenager very much reminded me of um, the guy that lives in his finger, according Tony? to the film. Tony. Which, by the way, is very different from the book. We'll eventually get to The Shining. We're not doing that right now. So it very much reminded me of Tony. It also very much reminded me of another 80s horror film, which we will also be covering, American Werewolf in London. Yes. Where the friend comes back and tries yes. to help him avoid the tragedy that he's... Oh, it is very American Werewolf in London. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So continue on with the story. They did it very well. The guy is very creepy. Um, I have a lot of notes about him. Um, I guess we're just not going to get to all the no, stuff. No, we'll go over our notes, but you just okay. keep going through the plot. We're getting a little detailed in the plot here. We're getting very okay. detailed in the plot. But go ahead. Um, so anyways, so... Uh, he, of course, buries his son. Son comes back. Creepy, cool, creepy kid. Um, creepy cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> creepy kid. He kills the old man. And, of course, the mom comes back because, like we said, the dead teenager tries to warn her. So she comes back, tries to uh, save her husband. But, of course, she fails. And Gage kills her. And then the father comes back. He kills Gage. Um, and, oh, my God. The doll effects oh, are my God. awful. Oh, I was going to talk about Gage's face. Oh, no, Gage is really great. They totally stick a syringe in his neck. And he's like, screaming and crying. And, and he is... does like this face where his face is like frozen. And he has a needle in his neck. And he's just like still acting. Yeah, it's, guys, you got to see this movie. This kid is phenomenal. But every time there's a violent scene where you need the baby and oh, there needs yes, to be violence that happens, doll, yes. there's a really bad doll. It's bad, but like, there's a You could a be scene, watching Child's Play. There's a scene when the kid um, is coming after his dad and the look on this kid's face, I mean, <laughs> he, wants, <laughs> he wants to kill his dad. Like, I, I don't know what happened to this kid and why his acting career went nowhere, but he does an incredible job in this movie. So he destroys the body because the only way that you're supposed to be able to kill them is by burning them. So it burns the kid, it burns the cat. But of course, our main character is crazy at this point. Oh, he's lost his mind. He done snap, girl. And decides to bring his wife back for a lovely scene um, where they make out and she's got pus coming out of her oh, eye. Oh, yeah, no, she's got the skin is falling off of her face and her skull bone is like protruding. and So nasty. All pi uh, piss, pus and blood. And... and she, of course, kills him and that is the end of the movie. And that's the end of the movie. So tell me your thoughts. What did you think? I thought it was really good. And you know what's funny? During that entire plot sequence, mm -hmm. I didn't mention the thing that scared me the most the first time I saw it and still scared me the most the second time I saw it. But we'll get into that a little bit. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? No. Well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. What did I think? I thought it was actually quite good. Yeah? Um, 
Acting. Quite good for 89? Oh, very good for 89. Okay. Um, quite good just in general. Um, the acting, meh, except for the kid, because Jesus. Uh, wow. And Fred um, Gwynn. We don't go down Fred that wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, acting, meh. It, it, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not great. Um, the writing, amazingly, is actually pretty good. As much as I love you for your books, Stephen, your screenplays have n- have been very hit and miss. But this was this, actually pretty good. This is the first adaptation of a Stephen King work that was actually written by Stephen King. Like, the screenplay was actually written by Stephen King. What about the one with the trucks? Trucks, trucks, trucks. Um... Hyperdrive. No. Is that what it's called? No? No. Oh, well. He directed that one. That's yeah, the first one he directed. Yeah, but he didn't write a I, screenplay I, for the movie that was based on a story he read, wrote, and then he directed it. He didn't bother to read the, write the screenplay. Or was it before or after this? I don't know. I thought it was in the early 80s, but who knows? Doesn't matter. Sidetrack. Go ahead. Um. Anyway. Um. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um. I saw this, I've seen this once before. I saw it years ago, and actually I think we saw it together we years ago. We saw it together, ago. yeah. And it really freaked me out, but there's a part that I still haven't talked about. We're going to talk about that later. Um, that really scared me the first time. And it scared me this time, too, but it didn't get me as bad, because I knew it was coming. I want you to tell me what part this is. We can talk about it now. Want to get to it now? Yeah, let's get to it now. The sister. Oh, I completely forgot about the sister. Ah. So the wife has this subplot. Um... Tasha Yar, hold on, let me verify that she is actually Tasha Yar. Denise Crosby, <laughs> let me just make sure. Yes, Lieutenant Tasha Yar um, from Next Generation. She she doesn't have a lot to do. Basically, she leaves, bad thing happens, she comes back. She leaves, bad thing happens, she comes back. Like, And then she dies. Like, not a lot going on in here. And she's kind of... She kind of sucks in a few... Like, she forces her husband to make a promise to the kid oh, that the yes. cat's going to be okay. So, they're going to give the cat... Um, they're going to fix the cat, which... Cut his balls off? I don't want Church to get his nuts cut, Daddy. Oh, God. Where did you hear that? No, cut his nuts off, <laughs> his nuts as off. the maid put. Oh, we didn't even talk about the maid. Anyway... That doesn't matter. She doesn't really matter. Point is, um, so, they have a cat, how do you not fix your cat when you first get it? Like, that's just... Yeah, it was the 80s. Anyway. People didn't know. So they're going to cut his nuts off, as they say. And when he's going, the kid, the girl, is really worried. She's like, I don't... I'm really worried that Churchill, by the way... Church. Girl's cat's name is... And she's a little girl named Winston Churchill. They call him Church for short. Who, what kind of a little girl would name their cat Winston Churchill? Oh, but Steven. it's a Russian blue. It's oh, so gorgeous. That's not the point. I love anyway, that cat. Okay. Anyway, so he's he's going to take her, take him in, and the girl's like, you know, I'm really worried. I've been told that he can die during the surgery. And um, he tells her, oh, no, don't worry. He's going to be fine. And she goes, do you promise? And you can see on the dad's face that, of course, he doesn't want to make a promise that he can't. He, like he has no he control does, over. He doesn't have any control yeah. over it. It's the it's like the detective making a promise that we'll catch the person who killed your kid. Like never make that promise. Ever make promise you'll do your best. Promise you'll leave no stone unturned. Promise you do everything you possibly can. Never promise that you're gonna get something done if you have no control over it. And so the mom says, "Give her a promise." Church will be all right, honey. 
you promise, Daddy? Don't shilly-shally, Lewis. Give the little girl a promise. Church will be fine. I promise. What kind of parenting is that shit? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I got really upset at that point. I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, she sucks a lot in the beginning of the yes. movie. Yes. So, anyway, we were going somewhere with this. The sister. She needs a storyline for whatever reason. And so her thing is that she is traumatized by death. Her sister had a spinal, meningitis, spinal meningitis. Which I would like to look up. I had totally meant to do that before we do, did this. I, I wanted to see if it really affected people the way... That they portrayed it in the film. So my God, she it... ends up being contorted and um, insane, horrific looking. And they made it a guy dressed up as a girl to make her even creepier. Let's just put that out there. No, no, it was absolutely the case. The director has stated that she wanted she wanted there to seem something off about her. And no offense to any of our trans listeners out there, it was like intentionally makeup and all this stuff to seem really, really super creepy. Um, it was. It was very creepy. And uh, the the story is that she was left alone at the age of eight to watch her sister, and her sister started choking and ended up dying. Um, and, and she's really traumatized by that. And this, and this mother, um, when she was that kid uh, taking care of the eight-year-old, taking care of her older sister... She explains that she wanted her to die. Yeah. She did not do it on purpose. She was do not, a burden on the family yeah, and she scared her. Do not think that she tried to kill her in any way. She did not. She was taking care of her. But when she saw that she was choking, and she did, she did hit her on the back, which was grotesque looking. Yeah. Um, she did try, but then she kind of gave up. And then, then when, when the sister died, she ran out of the house and the neighbors were, what's going on? Because she was screaming and they thought she was crying, but... Was she really laughing? Yeah, she kind of seems like she doesn't really know. Right. But the point is, is that she was happy that her sister died, and that very much traumatized her. And the husband actually has a wonderful response. I actually thought it was really, really kind. Oh, yeah, other than, like, the bringing people back from the dead and going insane at the end, he is a pretty great dude. He's a pretty great dad. Um. Yeah, he says... That, are you kidding me? It wasn't your fault and it wasn't your responsibility. Who the F were your parents for leaving you at home alone at eight to take care of your sick sister? It's their fault. And if I need one more reason to dislike your parents, I have it now. Yeah. Like, he's very supportive and uh, it, it's it's really cool. And overall, he's a great guy. Another little tidbit is at one point he goes out, uh, out of the house in his pajamas and they needed to refilm that because originally he was filmed in his underwear and the producers thought that it would be too distracting and wouldn't seem creepy because he is a very handsome man. <laughs> so they refilmed it with him in his pajamas. All right, go on, continue. Okay, what else so did you want to talk about? I'm going to get into my notes now. Okay. Okay, so in the very beginning, we open on the pet cemetery and we get to hear these kids talking about their dead pets. And I get it, it's a horror movie and it's about a pet cemetery, but I mean, really, the Indian burial ground is what it's really about. So instead, we just get to listen to these kids talking about their dead pets. Meanwhile, a skunk appears out of fucking nowhere and just runs across, and it's a very strange shot. And then later, we get a close-up on some of these um, headstones, because, you know, children make headstones for their pets all the yep. time. And they have these elaborately written 
poems about their if you've pets. ever if you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World and you've gone to the Haunted Mansion and you see the headstones there, there's always like rhymes that succinctly describe their life and what a great dog they were. There's a bunch of those there. But they're taken very seriously. And um, by the way, if any of our listeners have ever actually seen a pet cemetery, please let us know because I've never heard of a real one. I've never seen a real one. It seems very strange to me. I feel like I have. Oh, well, there you go. Sorry. We should have talked about this before. <laughs> All right. So the little girl shows up and she's wearing a bizarre outfit. I don't know if you noted that. She looks like she was going on a freaking safari. I'm like, what are you doing? I did not notice that. She's like a five-year-old or a six-year-old girl or whatever, seven. And she's got like this hat on, this big gaping brown jacket she looks like she's gonna go on safari it was very very distracting (laughs) oh and chris pointed this out to me uh when they first get to the house at the very beginning of the story they get out and he goes you like it she goes yeah and it's like wait you bought a house without seeing it specifically she says it's gorgeous (laughs) i'm glad you noted that yeah and, and yeah like he was responsible for buying their new house and Sight unseen, she was just cool with it. I mean, I guess he is the breadwinner. I don't know what she does. I don't think they ever say. No, they never do. But he's a doctor, and I guess he's a teacher, too? No, just a doctor. He's at a school. He was going to the school. That's where the kid got hit by a car. I know that's what you thought was going on, because that's certainly what it looked like. No, he said he's going to the school. Oh, Maybe they got called. He wasn't supposed to go there. Also, he was wearing very high overalls that looked very uncomfortable in the crotch area. So Judd. that was, yes. Judd was, yes. Uh-huh. So Fred Gwynn. That was also distracting. Oh, okay. So at the very beginning, uh, the little girl gets on a tire swing and the tire swing breaks uh, the the branch. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, an omen, right? Oh my God, this movie is so full of omens. It's, it's just like, why? Anyway. Um, so then... Later on that same night, same day, he come. the father goes outside for whatever reason, and the tire swing is right back up on the damn tree. Meanwhile, the kid fell in it and hurt herself. Like, why would you put the tire swing back up on that tree? Yeah. No sense. I don't know. No sense was made. And it was pointless. It wasn't even necessary. Like, what did it contribute to the story? Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean, we like the movie, but it has problems. It has a lot of problems. <laughs> um, also, uh, we didn't... T- <coughs> we didn't talk about the, the maid. She's really pretty unimportant. She's there. She's in pain. She kills herself. And it's kind of pointless. Anyway, so, but I was very confused. Like, the very first day, they have a maid. How did that happen? How did you get one so fast? She has that line, hell, I ain't married to anyone. What? Like, what? Like, why? <laughs> I don't know. At one point, and they don't really explain why, I think it's the cat's there, but it kind of falls from the ceiling. Makes no sense. Anyway, a rat falls. This is right after the cat has come back. And um, why? where is the dad? He's in the bath. He's in the bath. I think. And yes, that's right. And uh it splashes into the bath and it's so disgusting, right? And um, he like freaks out and he sees the cat and he jumps out and or he flicks he it out. He flicks it out, yeah. Uh-huh. And then he jumps out of the bath when he sees the cat. And then he steps on the rat. And he's like, God damn it! And, like, <laughs> like, and he's freaking out and everything. And like, it's ridiculous to watch. But then I thought about it and I'm like, I'm so clumsy. Like, this is so something I would do. Absolutely, like, I yeah. would flick something on the ground, like, disgusted by it. And then I would totally step on it. That uh-huh. that would happen to me 100%. Okay, so it's believable. Um, it was also realistic. 
Like, that might have actually been a dead rat. <laughs> Can we talk about how realistic the dead cat is? This cat dies twice in the movie. Yeah. And was I, it really no, a dead cat? I do not think it was a dead cat. But the, the first time the cat dies, they pick it up off the ground and... They have crunching sounds. Oh, and it's like stuck to the ground. It's they need to like rip it up yeah, off the ground and it is It's not pleasant. Oh, no, mm. and it looks totally realistic. Mm-hmm. It is it is really, really crazy how realistic. And it felt really bad because it's a rush on blue and I loved him. Mm-hmm. And then Stephen King, of course, was in his own movie because he just can't help himself. Yes, he was the preacher <laughs> at the funeral for Gage. Or not no, for Gage, for no, the- for the woman. Was it the maid? Yeah, it was for the the maid. maid. Yeah, uh huh. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and comfort you and lift you up and give you peace. Amen. Steven, I love you. You're not an actor. And he loves making fun of religious people, too, which is really weird. Great. It's weird because. He also he, he loves the, God. He wrote The Stand. The like, Stand. He, I mean, he brings up God in a lot of different things. But he mocks things. religion all the time. I think what it is is that he's mocking... Um, Religious institutions, but loves God? I think he loves what God stands for. I think he hates the people that that are... What's the... Self-important or hypocrites. Yes, okay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So two of my favorite lines in the entire movie are... Uh, are they happen very close to each other, and they both involve church. Do you remember when he needs to get into Fred Gwynn's house where he thinks his wife and son are? Um, He has to get into the house, but the cat's in the way. And so he throws this stake at it. What does he say to the cat? Do you remember? I do. I do not. He says, today is Thanksgiving Day for cats. But only if they came back from the dead. Today is Thanksgiving Day for cats. But only if they came back from the dead. That is a line that is uttered in this movie in all earnestness. And this is why we're talking about how um, Stephen's writing is usually much better in book form than it is in screenplay form. So the dad, Lewis Creed, Dale Midkiff, he also has some really great exclamations. He has some great, no! Like when his son dies, you know, like so he has these really great exclamations. But one of his one of his best is when he finally like he's attacking the cat and he's and he's trying to kill the cat. He says, "Play dead, be dead." Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> it was really ridiculous. Play dead, be dead. So good. It's so good. Now, there's a couple of other things that I just want to point out. Okay, really fast. okay. Um, there is a painting inside the mother's parents' house that they they do close up shots on a couple of times, uh-huh. and it is bizarre. It's this little squat fat woman. That's that's the sister. That's supposed to be the sister. That's the sister. Yep. No, it's a painting that I'm yeah, talking about. It's a painting of the sister before she had the 
the disease. It's her of a little as a little girl, and there's a there's a uh, a gray cat in there as well. Yeah, is there uh-huh. really? And then she's holding something, and I can't remember what it was. I don't remember. No. Man, I have to take better notes. But she was holding something, and it's just the strangest looking. Painting. It's really bizarre. You see it multiple times, and it's just like why? I didn't know it was the sister, but I was just like, why is this here? What purpose does this yeah, serve? Uh-huh. What what does the girl call numb shit? Oh, because he drops, Gage drops the kite. Oh, that numb shit. Got away from him, that numb shit. That numb shit. It's this little girl, and she's like this little eight-year-old girl. And we're like, first of all, did she say numb or did she say dumb? And I'm uh, we listened to it twice. No, she says numb. She says numb. That numb shit. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. It was very oh, strange. I, you know what? As much as I said, today is Thanksgiving Day for cats, but only if they came back from the dead and play dead, be dead, are two of my favorite lines in all of cinema history. <laughs> I think probably my favorite line in the entire thing is Gage. When he finally dies, do you remember what he says as he dies? No fair. No fair. This little, like, two-and-a-half-year-old kid, or however old he is, I don't... He's 31 to 33 months is what IMDb said. He just says, like, no fair. Like, he's like he legitimately feels that, some, that this is unfair. No fair. No fair, no fair. It was so well done. I love this little kid. He is insane. It's he's so good. so good. So good. At one point, the dad says, fuck off, hairball. <laughs> To the cat, which I also thought was hilarious. Um, at one point, the wife is in bed and she totally has a push-up bra on, which always pisses me when off. When people are in bed, in bed, wearing their push-up bras, those things are not comfortable like during the day, let alone when you're trying to relax and in bed. Mm-hmm. I should know. <laughs> another another great line is from the wife's mother. She tries to call because she's really nervous because she's got that dead teenager talking to her and she can't see him. And so she calls and he doesn't answer. And the mom goes, you know how men are. He probably went out for a hamburger or a chicken dinner. Yeah, you know how men are. You know how men are. <laughs> hamburger or a chicken dinner. Those are the two things that men go for. That is that it or you have a few more? Uh, I have a bunch of other stuff, but it's not important. (coughs) I think we probably beat this one to death at this point. All right, I have two more things that I want to do then to wrap this up. Um, The first thing is a little bit of news. The Muschietis, they're the ones who did the new It. It's in theaters now. Mm -hmm. It. um, And they they said in a recent interview with um, the Toronto Sun, of all places, that... um, they're very big fans of Pet Cemetery, and if they had their druthers, they would do Pet Cemetery. I hope they don't. I really like this version. I think it's pretty dang good, and I don't think they can do much more with it. Except, and I don't know because I have not read the book, the ending just feels like, well, what happens now? The wife kills the it's dad. It's supposed to be spooky. But, like, is she going to run amok around town and just kill a bunch of I, people? Who knows? Like, Who knows? It felt it felt very abrupt for they, me. They do own the rights to something called The Jaunt, which is a short story written in 1981 by Stephen King. So they do own the rights to some other Stephen King piece. So that's that's the last little bit of, of info. And I got one question for you. Uh, actually, one question and a follow-up. If you had to guess, 
What do you think its Rotten Tomato score is? I don't know a lot about how that's done. Okay, so to explain to the audience and to you what Rotten Tomatoes is and how they score, they ba- they, they take in all these professional reviews. Um, they need to be like published professional reviews. And they determine a tone. Either it's positive or negative. And if it's over a certain amount, which is like high 50s or something like that, it's considered fresh. But uh, it's all percentage-based. So, but they all have a score, which is a percent, which is how many of the reviewers felt positively overall about the movie based on the tone of their review. So, knowing that, what percentage of reviewers do you think felt positively about Pet Cemetery on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, that's tough to gauge because, um, ha pun. Ah. <laughs> um, because I often disagree with a lot of sure. published critics, but I would Yes, 75%. 48%. That is that is tragic. This movie deserves much better than that. So that was my follow-up question. Do you think it's underrated or overrated? I think it's extremely underrated. I think this movie is great. I would give it a B. I would give it a B. I'd probably give it a B minus. Maybe a B minus. Yeah. And, and to be clear, we like a lot of movies that... Maybe aren't like we, we appreciate movies for quality con- like issues where it's like, oh, no, this is just well done. Mm-hmm. And then we appreciate them because, oh, they're spooky and creepy and, or because they look cool or because they're interesting concepts. So for, there could be tons of different reasons. It's not the best movie ever made. Definitely not. But, but overall, it was a nice time. I really enjoyed it. It's very enjoyable. It's, it's funny. very creepy. It is funny, but it's also very creepy. Uh-huh. The sister is hard to look at. They did a good job with her. Um, yeah, she didn't bother me. Gage was <laughs> fantastic. Um, and the story itself is just creepy and well done. And I actually thought that the teenager, even though he reminded me a lot of American Werewolf in London, I thought he did a great job. He has creepy smiles a lot of the time, even though he's not meant to be creepy. You're supposed to think of him as a good character. And I thought that was God. His name great. is Victor Pascal, and he's played by Brad Greenquist, who was also in Annabelle Creation. Ooh. Which we will probably never see, because... Fuck those movies. <laughs> yeah, we've never seen the Annabelle movies, but we might for this podcast. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. All right. So that is uh, Pet Cemetery. What did you think? Let us know. We'll probably have contact information. By this point, we might even have like a Twitter account, yes. probably, or an email that you can email into. Yes. Um, we would love to hear your comments. We will definitely address any comments that we get, unless, you know, of course, they're ridiculous ones. But if you have something to say... We're going to give you that information probably at the end of this episode. Moving on, we're going to tackle the next movie in today's episode. Our modern film. And that's going to be... 28 Days Later. Okay, so go ahead and pause right now and go back and watch it if you have to. And we'll come back and talk about 28 Days Later. The devastation spread, and the world he knew was gone. No! 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 He thinks he's alone, but he's not. I wake up today in hospital. Twenty-eight days later. And we're back to talk about 28 Days Later. 
a movie starring Sandra Bullock and Viggo Mortensen. It's about a big city newspaper columnist forced to enter a drug and alcohol rehab center after ruining her sister's wedding and crashing a stolen limousine. Of course he's joking. We actually watched the zombie apocalypse film known as 28 Days Later. Oh, I was talking about 28 Days. It's Sorry. It's a very uh, big misconception. People do that all the <laughs> it's, time. It's not Sandra Bullock? No, it is not. It is Killian Murphy. Naomi Harris. Sure. And Danny Boyle directing. Christopher Eccleston. The ninth Doctor Who? Ah, yes, that's correct. The ninth season or the ninth? The only Doctor that I ever found interesting enough to watch. Thank you. All of three episodes. Thank you. Okay, a little (laughs) bit of a Doctor Who kind of uh, uh, side thing here. Doctor Who is a big, big phenomenon, uh, like a lot of other things. Um, But I, I just I can't get into it. Everyone loves it. I can't I can't get into it. I watched the one. Christopher Eccleston season all the way through and I really liked him and then they got rid of him and they replaced him with the one everyone loves who was uh the purple man on Jessica Jones but I just I couldn't get into it it's it's too fan servicey it's too I I don't know it's not written for the benefit of the story it's written just to like it's it's fan fiction the television show basically <laughs> anything and everything can happen there are absolutely no stakes but the stakes are always huge but there's really actually no stakes at all because anything can do anything and I I just I can't get into it I'm sorry but Christopher Eccleston absolutely loved you in it loved you in the leftovers Yes, as well, as you are Matt. so good as yes. Matt in The Leftovers. Christopher Eccleston, I may not have known your name before, but I love your work. Yes, so. very, very good. And you're only a small part of this uh, in a villain role, actually, interestingly. Mm-hmm. I think he plays a pretty good villain, even though he played the extremely forgettable Malekith in Thor The Dark World, who... Yeah. Okay. She's giving me a look, just like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> Nobody remembers about. it. He's the dark elf. You know the the second Thor movie. Yeah. Where they go through the portals and everything. Right. And there are a bunch of these like white elvish looking dudes with pointy ears. He's nope. like the yeah. Nobody <laughs> remembers that. That's Marvel's problem with their movies is they have a lot of forgettable villains and only a few really memorable ones. Anyway, enough talk about Christopher Eccleston. Kelsey, <laughs> yes. what, what was this movie about? We watched 28 Days Later because it was a modern take on zombies, um, just as um, Pet Cemetery was a take, was a different take on zombies. So we paired them up together. And so basically, 28 Days Later follows... Was oh, that why we watched them? Yes. I was wondering. Yes. <laughs> 28 Days Later follows Killian Murphy. This is the first movie I ever saw him in, and I fell in love with him right away. He's an incredible actor, and he's very good looking, so that's a plus. Um... <laughs> And it follows him waking up out of a coma to find his beautiful England, his beautiful London, completely empty. Which okay, can we can we go back really quick and confirm? Yes, it is Killian Murphy. That's what I said. I know. I'm just because a lot of people don't know. It's not Cillian Murphy. It's Killian Murphy. He's Irish. So oh, is it has he Irish? A, yes. So it has a different pronunciation. I don't think I've ever heard him speak with an Irish accent. Yeah. Huh. He gets a little Irish in this. Does he? A little, yeah. See, okay, 
for all, for any and all um, people from the UK who are listening to this, yes, we are dumb Americans and we cannot tell the <laughs> difference between your accents. Um, same with Australians and New Zealanders. Sorry. Can't, can't tell the difference. Um, you know who we'd actually, I should probably, I know we're kind of all over the place, but we should also mention one of the only female characters in this is uh, Naomi Harris, who, if you saw Moonlight, was the mother in Moonlight. Oh my God. Yeah. She has changed a lot in she the past, is, no, okay. like, 16 years. Right, but if you see her, obviously she looks horrible because she's yes, a druggie true. in Moonlight. But then, you like, you see her at premieres and at the Oscars and all that. She still looks great. She's fantastic, and she's obviously a very talented actress. She does an incredible American accent. I never yeah. would have guessed that she was British. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's not British. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't look it up. So, anyway, uh, he wakes up to an empty London... Which is, we've seen it all over the place. A, a lot of people accuse this of being ripped off straight from the day of the Triffids. I've never it seen was, that. It was also ripped off in kind by The Walking Dead, um, where he wakes up in, I don't know, is he in Georgia or somewhere? I can't remember. You asked a question when we were watching this. What'd you ask? I asked, how on earth did they get so many shots? And what you brought up <coughs> is the infamous shot from Vanilla Sky, yes. which, um, you know, is incredible. They were able to empty out Times Square. Times Square. Mm-hmm. But they were only able to do it for like a certain amount of time, very early in the morning, which was super impressive. But this blows that out of the water. It is so many shots of London, just completely empty streets. I don't know how they did it. So there, there's two places. So, so all the London scene, scenes, and then there's scenes on the motorway. Uh, basically, they filmed those uh, at very short periods of time in London to make London look completely empty. They had one hour starting at 4 a.m. They would close the streets and they'd film for an hour, and then the police would open them back up at 5 o'clock. They had one hour to shoot, so they had to do this a few times. Um, and apparently, reportedly, uh, in order to placate the drivers who would have to be stopped and wait for an hour or find another way, um, they got a bunch of attractive women to break the news to them, <laughs> including apparently Danny Boyle's daughter. Who oh. I know it's a little weird, but whatever. That's what the little bit of trivia says here. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and also on the motorway, they actually had two hours to shoot from seven to nine, and the police would slow down traffic, and they'd film something with ten different cameras, and they only ended up with. Uh, a minute a minute of footage well it was certainly worth it because it is incredibly isolating i remember thinking that when i was a a kid like when i was like what 14 or 15 seeing it in theaters i was like wow if you feel that isolation you feel for this character even though you don't even know anything about him yet anyway he Um, wakes up in london yeah so oh well actually the part that i'm Forgetting to bring up is the part that I forgot was even in the film. He's naked. No, no, I definitely (laughs) remembered that he was naked. Um, But the beginning scene where they explain where the virus comes from. I forget about that every time. I always imagine that it opens right on him waking up and it doesn't. And such a stupid explanation. Well, it's a, it's a... um... Rise of the Planet of the Apes kind of thing, where it's it, well, it starts with him, tests on monkeys. They gave them an inhibitor 
no other explanation or clarification. Yeah, you don't need and it. And they had them watch videos of violence. And I think, suddenly they have rage in their blood. That I, doesn't I make think, any sense. I think, honestly, it would have been much better if they completely skipped it and it started with you knowing just as much as Killian Murphy's character knows. I, I think it would have been much better if it if they started it that way. I agree. Especially since it's always it's always the social activist faults. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn you for caring about these apes. Right. No, it's like they, they, they come in and they live liberate these apes and um and then it spreads the virus and and the the blame it seems falls on the the i guess activist terrorists is effectively what they are damn the activists but, right, for right, right. caring but not the scientists who created this thing in their blood yeah but they were keeping him hostage and it never would have gotten out by you know taking the freedom away from these monkeys like come on come on but anyways, so it gets out, he wakes up, he's in London, he so, doesn't know what's going on. Right, and then he, he's a, he's a pretty smart character. He starts to collect food, of course, you know, it's, it's all crap. But and money. He, yeah, he starts to collect things, despite not understanding what's going on. So I thought that was an interesting take, making him, you know, figure things out pretty dang quickly. But I'm get, I have a point, because some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, if I woke up and no one was around, I'd probably start collecting food, too, just in case. I get it. But then later, he encounters um, normal people. I mean, he, he encounters some zombies, but of course it's terrifying. He doesn't quite understand it. And then he uh, encounters living, normal human beings. And, oh my god. Um, so if you don't know me, I am a teacher. And so I deal with kids all day, every day. And, um, they are clearly trying to save his life. And all he can keep doing is saying, tell me what's going on. I don't understand what's going on when they're just like, shut the fuck up. We are trying to <laughs> save your damn life. And I just felt for them in that moment. Cause I was just like, yeah, that's how I feel about my kids every day. What are we doing today? What are we doing? Blah, 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 blah. Before you can even finish your statement. Before you want to get through everything. Bitter. At, well, yes, but so my point is, he's smart enough to figure that shit out, but then when it comes down to, like, your life is in danger, then he suddenly is just like, no, I would rather have answers than be alive. Uh -huh. So then he uh, hooks up with these two people, one of them dies rather quickly, he finds his parents, they're dead, and they left a tragic note. So the note says, um, I have it written down here, Jim, with endless love we left you sleeping, now we're sleeping with you. Don't wake up. Yeah. He, of course, endangers them again because he still doesn't quite understand how they work. And he alerts the zombies by his lights. Um, so then the other one dies. So him and the girl, Naomi Harris. Who is Selena. Yeah, I guess. Um, they run away and they find this father and daughter combination who are pretty awesome. But they are, too, looking for a solution. Now, Selena at this point has become very hardened. She's all about, like, survival. It's all that matters. Why do you think she is that way? Yes, very... They had an extremely delicate um, character development system for her. They they explain later that, that she is a... Um, she was a chemist. Therefore, she's a very logical person who then has seen a lot of death in this amount of time. And so... All she can think about is survival, and clearly she doesn't have a great people skills, etc. Even though she does very clearly care about humanity, um, she's just be she, because they explain that. Like at one point, Killian Murphy has to lay down because he has a headache, 
And he's like, I didn't think you'd care. And she, like, gives him a look like, like She I says, why care. didn't you say anything earlier? Right. Like, she 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 cares that he has, that he's hurting, you know? Yeah, she does care, but she's not good at expressing it. And it is her number one priority to survive. If he were to slow her down, she would leave him behind. But she, if she doesn't have to, she doesn't want to. So, apparently, Naomi Harris and Danny Boyle developed this sort of unspoken backstory for her. Okay. Um, why she's so hardened, but she still has that, like, like she cares, but she's still, like, really hard to the world and the circumstances. Apparently, she was forced to kill her mother and father, who were infected, in order to save her younger brother. Only to find out that her younger brother was already infected, or would become infected anyway. Um, and had to kill him, too. That makes sense, because when Killian Murphy is going into his parents' house, she says, you have to kill anyone. He goes, I get it. She goes, no, anyone. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And like I said, like they brought up the whole chemist thing. They they really kind of tried to create a, a full-on character for her, which was great. Especially since you don't get that much for Killian Murphy, which is funny, because he's the main character. Um, I mean, you find out he's like a bike courier. <laughs> Yeah, That's and pretty much it. <laughs> Clearly, he had a good a good relationship with his parents too. Right, that was made clear too. Yeah, but also he kills a kid. Um, I mean, which skipping is, which skipping is his ahead, character arc. skipping ahead, they um, they decide to go. They off decide to leave to find the soldiers who have set out a um, a recording saying that they have the solution. And to they leave infection. with the with the father and the daughter who haven't left already because something could go wrong. The father explains, and then the daughter would be left alone, and he couldn't have that. But now that they have support. They're going to try to get out. And, and while Selena they're at a... discovers that, oh, humanity does still matter. It's right. still important. So they go out and and he goes wandering and she says, stay close. And he's like, yeah, whatever. It's like going on a vacation with your aunt. Going on holidays with your fucking aunt. Like, yeah, it's such a great line. <laughs> but he still goes anyway. And of course he encounters an infected and it's a little kid and he has to beat the kid to death with a baseball bat. But this is a murder that was entirely unnecessary for Except his character for his... because he made a bad decision. It's not like he was on, he was trying for survival and like he, he wanted to prove himself. But he kind of sought out that danger, yes, like because he wanted to prove that he didn't need her help. He didn't need her to tell tell him what to do. And then when he killed the the child, it's important that it's a child because that's when he realizes. This isn't like a video game. This isn't me just killing off zombies. This is, these are people that I'm killing because I need to in order to survive. And that's why she told me to stay close. Not because she thought I couldn't handle myself, but because it's a lot smarter to stick together. And she says that a couple of times, which is great. It's one of those things in horror movies that always makes you, you know, facepalm, like, Seriously, you you couldn't you you couldn't realize that it would be better to stick in a group than right. it was to go off by yourselves. Always, always. So after that, they come across the location that the radio broadcast was telling them to go to, and there's fucking nothing there. Yeah, there's nothing there, and the father is upset because he thought this was going to be the answer, and they had had a really good time getting there. Um, there were several montages. Yeah. Of happiness and joy. Um, But anyways, so they get there and there's no one there. And he's clearly upset. So he starts... Now, here's the thing. They needed to get rid of the father at this point. Yes. They absolutely needed to for the story. For the story, they had to, yeah. 
So I thought it was a clever way of doing it, but it did feel forced. There's a bird cawing and of course he's yelling at the bird, but why would you go right under, directly underneath the bird? I mean, if for nothing else, the bird might poop on you. Like, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, and he gets right underneath it and blood comes down and it happens to get right in his eye, mm-hmm. which is also slightly hard to believe. But it was clever in that it didn't require him to get bitten because if he had gotten bitten, it would have put the others in danger. Have you so. ever have you ever had an, uh, had have you ever taken an eye shot? No. So there are a few ways you can get drunk faster than just ingesting it through your through your mouth and goes into your stomach and it spreads out to your system. I've um, always heard that the number one way to get some sort of buzz or high is, is through your anal. butt. Yes, 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 because that's where your body does most of its absorption is in your colon. So you know you funnel something into your butt. <laughs> That's why suppositories work so well. It's because they go directly into the place that your body does a lot of absorption. Another way to take a shot is to take it through the eye. Just pour it into your eye. And apparently that gets to your brain a lot faster. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, no, like, I understand it. I'm just saying, like, it just happens to go straight down into his eye. Which is slightly hard to believe because I'm one of those people where it's hard for me to even put makeup on myself. My <laughs> eyes are constant. I'm constantly blinking. Like my eyes do not want to take. You've in never. Anything. You've never put contacts in. No, I've not. Yeah, I, I mean, I wear contacts, so. But it's a what thing. I'm saying is that if something was flying down into my eyes, like my eyes would close. But anyway. <laughs> So um, he ends up getting infected and soldiers suddenly show up and shoot him to death. And it's like, oh, thanks, soldiers, for waiting until that happens. Well, there's also the, the they, ha- they get to have that moment where he tells his daughter she has no idea what's going on. And he tells his daughter that he loves her and he'll always love her. And he's like, she's like, what's wrong? And she gets closer. and He's like, stay away. Dad, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine, sweetheart. Sorry I lost my temper. Hannah, I love you very much. What? Keep away from me. Stay where you are. Dad? Keep away from me! Dad? Keep away from me! Keep away from me! Keep away! Keep away! Keep away! What's wrong? Jimmy's infected! No! No! Jim! No! Jim, kill it! They get to have that moment, and Killian Murphy's character, Jim, uh, is forced to start beating him, and when that happens, that's when the soldiers finally show themselves by killing him and rescuing, in quotes, in inverted commas, um... (laughs) Sorry, that's a very British thing. Uh, and uh, and taking them to their base, which is this mansion. Yes, and um, it becomes clear very it becomes very clear very fast that something is wrong. Um, these soldiers are your typical, and I feel bad for saying this because I know a lot of people that have been in, involved in the army and, you know, I do respect people in the army, but it is a stereotype that, you know, mm-hmm. you become a mindless uh, dickhead, beefhead jerk. And well, there's that's something... exactly who these people are, there's... except for two. There's there's something to be said that when your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. This is what I've seen in the four weeks since infection. People killing people. 
which is much what I saw in the four weeks before infection and the four weeks before that and before that, as far back as I care to remember, people killing people. Which, to my mind, puts us in a state of normality right now. When, when you're forced to be extremely pragmatic and martial, then that's going to be your solution to absolutely everything. Right. So, Eccleston basically has a little bit of, um, like, apocalypse now craziness going on yeah. inside of his mm -hmm. brain. Um, where he thinks that, you know, the world has ended and the only way to build it back up is to start having children. And... You know, he's just, he's clearly had some mental issues that have just developed because of this tragedy that's taking place. And essentially, most of the men agree to it because all they hear is, you mean we get to rape women? Yeah. Awesome. Um, except, except for, for one guy. The sergeant. Um, yeah, who's like the most philosophic of them all, I guess. Or okay. Philosophical. Okay. Whichever one it is. <laughs> and he has a great little monologue where he gets to talk about like, just think about it. We're a tiny island. It'd be very easy to quarantine us off. Now, at this point, Killian Murphy's character, Jim, and this sergeant are being held prisoner now. Because um, they disagreed with the raping of a 15-year-old girl and Selena. Yes. No, absolutely. Who, by the way, Selena and Killian Murphy have only kissed at this point. But there's right. clearly a relationship building there. Right. And he cares about both of them. Yeah. Uh, he obviously sees very dearly. the girl as like a daughter. Uh, yeah. Effectively, especially since her, her dad is now dead. Right. But yeah, the sergeant talks about how, and this might be a good place to talk about the philosophy of what these infected are. You get infected, within 10 to 20 seconds you turn. And it's, so Which that that's the explanation also about why it's kind of hard to buy into the dad being able to tell his daughter that he loves her because we've seen, I think happen. if you time it, it's about 20 seconds. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> not that it, it's, it's not that drastic, but he knows right away. I need to talk to her. I need to tell her I love her. I need to make sure she stays away from me. He fails in that second part, but because it's so quick that, uh, that the infected turn, it'd be very difficult for this disease to transmit beyond like physical like immediate physical proximity which makes so, excellent sense mm -hmm. and it allows for the second one to have um taken place which we'll never do the second one because sorry danny boyle but the second one was bullshit yes anyway <laughs> so um, so um but there's a line that really fucks with you there, there is, but I don't think it, it's much to, to oh, shrug away. Oh, it makes away. me real angry. They should have cut it out if they weren't going to keep it. Because Selena says, uh, she talks about, like, France and New Paris York. And New York City. Being infected. Uh, being infected, yes. But it could just be rumors. Like, their whole, the, the British infrastructure completely collapsed at this point. So we don't know. We, there's no way to confirm these reports. But the sergeant makes a good, it's like a twist at this point in the story. He makes a good point. That unlike, say, Rise of the Planet of the Apes at the very end when they show how it spread, where you get sick first and you're and it becomes communicative and you can start spreading the disease and then you die. This one is you get infected and you change and it's via the bloodstream communication. So falling into the eye, that works. Uh, ingesting the blood, being bitten. Uh, any way to get the saliva or blood or what have you into your bloodstream and immediately you change, which means you can't get on a plane. It means you can't get on a boat. Or if you get on a boat, things would be shit before you ever got to your destination. So uh, it probably is localized only to England. And yes, in 28 weeks later, 
they do confirm that England was quarantined. Yes. But again, we're not going to get to 28 weeks later. We're because never going to do it. Not as good. So, but anyways, this guy has this awesome monologue where he's explaining, you know, Eccleston has gone crazy. And then the other guys are just Hold on, before we get to bastards. that. This was the point where we were going to talk about the philosophy of what these zombies are. Oh. Okay. So, there are a few ways that, that, in addition to how it's communicated, there are a few ways that these zombies are different. Um, it, it transmits, the conversion happens really quickly. Uh, they are fully mobile and they are very fast. These are often considered the, uh, running zombies or the fast zombies or other terms. Which I don't know if there were other movies that had that before. I had never seen that This definitely was a benchmark in that, in that fast moving zombies, but more importantly. And it made them so much scary. Yeah. And, but it's also, they're not dead. Right. Whereas zombies generally die and then come back to life. Right. Even in The Walking Dead, which is the modern definition of zombie, um, anyone who, spoilers for Walking Dead, anyone who dies becomes a zombie. You don't have to be bitten. There is no communication. It's something humans are already carrying and every human is carrying. If you die, you become a zombie. I don't remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's just if you get bit, you die quickly, you know. So this doesn't have to happen. These are taking living people. They don't die. They just induce this crazy rage. And it's supposed to reflect apparently like road rage or any of the other kind of rages that we see a lot in modern society. It takes you to your most basic instincts. Uh So what do you think about this new definition of zombie? I thought they were great. I remember sitting in the theater and thinking I had never seen, and I know we, we shouldn't really be calling them zombies, but that's what I thought of them as when we'll I was call them infected, age. but yeah. I had never seen a zombie movie that treated them that way. And it was really impressive and it scared me a whole hell of a lot more than something like The Night of the Living Dead. It was the first, I know again, not exactly zombie, but zombie film that I liked. Mm-hmm. And it was the, I mean, you know, of course... Night of the Living Dead is a classic, right? Yeah. And if you if you enjoy film, you should see it because it's Absolutely. a landmark. Absolutely. But other than that, I didn't enjoy them until this showed me a different side to it. And it showed me more about what if we had this apocalypse that just took us out super fast. What would our response be? How would we fix it? Etc. Now, the first time I saw it, I loved it until... The soldiers came in because yeah. the soldiers for me back then were extremely unbelievable. So I agree. As an adult, uh-huh. <laughs> now they are far more believable, which I think just says a whole heck of a lot of sad things about society but, in general. But the thing I hate about every zombie story and a lot of the reason why I fell off of The Walking Dead is that it becomes, instead of the zombies being a mon- the monsters, it, it becomes about how humanity's really the monsters. And it's such a such a tired message. Now. I am, I, yeah, now it is. Not then. I understand. I understand. But it's such a tired message now. And I remember the first time. This is probably only my second time seeing this movie. Wow. Uh, I know. I liked it a lot better this time. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, God. I This is, I hate this dealing with, like, just deal with the zombies. I don't care about the humans. It just makes me feel gross that these humans were, are, are, are willing to do this. But now, modern day, I enjoy it. Because it gives me the the Bill Murray in the Life Aquatic moment where he where Killian Murphy just comes back and fucking wrecks shop. He just sees red. Oh yeah. And he just fucking Murphy oh. <laughs> becomes such a badass at the end of this movie. Now, 
I don't know if I can buy into it so much, because he can suddenly do things that he could not have done before. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, I'm Catman, and I can jump over a fence yeah. without hurting myself on the barbed wire somehow. Well, the and point I is, is that twice, he's... And I do it so fast that I can't get caught by military soldiers. Yes. He has he has the same rage that the infected have, except it's not a mindless rage. It's a very focused rage. And a rage used for good, which is what the... Military should have, right, what but meant to have. don't. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> these military soldiers—they've been trained in the yeah, art of uh-huh. defense, and somehow this skinny bike courier who has no fat on him and has been living off of sugar and shit can somehow get around undetected and unshot. And so he ends up saving uh, Selena, and the and, girl. and but because he has this this rage. And he's just so intense and he's not saying anything. Uh, Selena's not sure if he's infected. No, he does He does yell a couple things. And that's important because the infected cannot talk. Right, but she doesn't know that. She can hear him talking, though, is what I'm saying. She hears him yelling. She knows they can't talk. They don't... They don't... There's a moment when he just totally wails on that guy. And then he turns and looks at her and she brandishes her sword. If she thinks that he's not infected, why would she do that? She's worried he's infected. Right, that's what I'm saying. So and she's not making the, any connections here. And that's when something came up later. I mean, something that had come up earlier when she killed the guy. I didn't even mention this. When um, when they're at when they're at Killian Murphy's parents' house, and Murphy gets the, the attention of the infected through the lights. What happens is the guy that they were with the 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 third guy who ends up dying. He ends up saving Killian Murphy's life, but he gets bitten in the process and immediately um selena kills him and she says i could tell by the look in his face he knew he was infected um, so when she t- when she stops before killing killian murphy she sees his face and she, uh, you know based on that we can assume that she thinks well he's not infected i can see it in his face and so she hesitates he comes towards her and when she starts to swing he stops but then right as she comes down she stops too And then she basically hesitates. And he says to her, that was more than a breath. That was longer than a heartbeat. Which is, because she said earlier, if you hesitate for even a breath or a moment or whatever the line is, um, you're dead. And so he kind of teases her by saying, like, if I was infected, you would be dead right now. And she's like, well... I figured it out. You weren't infected. And so they go on to live another 28 days pass. And we know that there are people flying jets. So somewhere society is fine. And now that is the only ending, dear listeners, that I had ever seen. And I loved that ending because I totally thought that they were all going to die. I thought it was going to be this really depressing ending. And then it was like, no, like, there is hope. And I was like, that's really nice, movie. Thanks and, for that. And they were also very happy. Like, they weren't asking for help. They're trying to communicate with them. But it doesn't say help. It says hello. And there's the little bit of a twist there where they're still making the sheets that say hello out in the out in the yard. And it just says hell because they haven't made the O yet. And you're like, oh, what's going on? Like, it just says hello. It could have easier. It would have been easier for it to say help. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're not really looking for help. They want them to know they're there and that they're alive and they're OK. 
but I think they're kind of just fine where they are. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be rescued because mm -hmm. they're happy. They found their happiness, the three of them. Mm -hmm. But And then at the end of the credits... If you're watching the DVD, yeah. It says, what if? And then it gives <laughs> you this tragic ending. Oh. I don't remember what happened. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I think... Killian Murphy did get shot at some point when he was trying to save the two women. Okay, yes. So, um... I think he got shot. So how they got out, uh, so, so they go to the car, the taxi, or the, whatever, the car that the dad was driving, mm -hmm. and turns out that Christopher Eccleston is in the back seat. Oh, that's right. And they open the door and he shoots Killian Murphy, but the, the daughter, she so backs awesome. into a bunch of zombies who break the window and yank him out, and then and she drives shot. away picks them up there's a quick cut of selena they're in a hospital and she's saving him and then cut to this farmhouse where they're totally fine but in the in alternate ending, ending they get him to a hospital they try to save him he dies the two women leave and it's just like are you yeah you serious right now yeah it's Thanks. not as good no, i think i honestly i haven't looked it up but i think that was just the original ending and it didn't test well and so they decided to refilm it. That happens a lot. It also happened to another zombie type movie, uh, I Am Legend, which honestly the original ending was way better, where he doesn't blow them up. That was the ending that was in the movie. Instead, he hands back the, the, the test subject that he had, and then they walk away. He recognizes that there's still some humanity in them and that he was the monster. Hence the title, I Am Legend. He is their legendary monster who keeps abducting them and doing tests on them. And so that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the story. And they changed it because they wanted the more action-packed explosion, make a sacrifice, kill all the bad guys kind of ending. And it ruined the ending of that movie. But this one, no, they changed it. And I think it was the better ending where they survive and they're happy. And it, this movie really deserved a good ending because the whole rest of the movie is so fucking bleak. So now let's talk about some notes that we had. I think it's, I think I should say I love this film. It is one of my favorite movies. It's in this thing that one of my friends made for me called a power hour. If you know what a power hour is, you take a shot of beer for every minute of an hour. Usually it's done with clips of songs. You listen to one minute of a song and you take your sip then and then etc. But my friend is an amazing editor and I really think that he should be making trailers and stuff for the real movies. But so he edited together a bunch of, uh, he put together over 60 of my favorite films together. And this is one of them. So it was really exciting for me to rewatch it and see all the moments and then he uses the music from this film in the trailer because the music is so good. haunting it's very moody it's uh it's driving it has that repetitive dun, 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 dun. yeah mm -hmm. and it has this slow pickup and it's really great and the acting is phenomenal and the writing is really good only thing is sorry, only thing is sorry brits um your movies are just never made very well so there is <laughs> the, the camera work is 
awful. And I get it, it's supposed to be shaky camera. I totally get it. But it is, ooh, the coloring is bad. It's blurry and so, so many shots. Honestly, honestly, I think, I, I haven't read this anywhere, but I think, uh, I think this is a result of it being the, the first movie to be shot entirely in digital. Now, that's true. It was. It was, the, it was the first movie to be shot, like actual theatrical release movie that was shot entirely digitally. Now, almost every single movie is shot that way. One of the big complaints is the resolution isn't as good. Because like with film, your native resolution is perfect. And whatever you're translating it to, whatever projectors you're using, whatever, uh, if you turn it into digital from there, that may decrease the quality. But if you're filming in digital there is a maximum amount of clarity that you can get with that. Nowadays, it's so high as to not matter. But back then, it wasn't. And I think that a lot of the color and lighting and blurriness is a result of that. Um, and the fact that we were watching it on DVD and not something a little bit more, more high def. I guess. I, I think at this point, you're starting to understand. Like, I'm, I'm very much like an early adopter where when it went from VHS to DVD, I was like, huge difference. And my family was like, I can't even tell. I'm like, you oh, can't I tell? tell? I can tell the difference between VHS and DVD. It took me a while to see the difference between DVD and blue. Now, that's what I'm talking about is now I think you're starting to notice when we watch things on DVD, they're not as good quality. Yeah. So go ahead. Okay, Chris had never noticed that in the beginning you get to see Killian Murphy's penis. Yes, he insisted that it be a closed set. Um, <laughs> so it was only the absolutely necessary personnel, probably the director, the director of photography, the cameramen, the sound guys, and like, that's it. It's a lot of hair. A lot of hair going on. Well. I guess us Americans are just different, though. Well, I think Well, I think also also because he's been in a coma for a while. That's a good point. Nobody's exactly trimming his ball hairs, although... <laughs> Although he should have had a catheter, catheter yes. which really bothered me when he got uh -huh. up and he was just like pulling them out of his arm. I was like, dude. There's something. I can't remember something <laughs> where, that we watched recently where somebody wakes up from a coma and like doesn't know what's going on and nobody's in his room and he pulls the catheter out and it's like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> no. When he walks into the church, there is a uh, written in red uh, sign that says extremely fucking nigh. <laughs> the end is extremely it fucking did, you nigh. You can see the end. Right, but that's that's what it's a reference to. Yeah. But it was great. <laughs> it made me smile. Um, and then, like, when he's in the church, okay, I get it. He doesn't understand what's going on. But if you walk into a church that is filled with dead bodies and you say, hello, and all of a sudden these heads pop up that are clearly not normal human beings. They've got red eyes. Even if they were normal human beings, they are sleeping in a pile of dead bodies. And he just kind of stands there and it's just like, I wonder what's going on. And then a priest appears and he's like, father? Father. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. And clearly the priest is not a normal human being. And he just stands there. And I'm like, come on. Again, you told me that this guy is smart enough to start picking up supplies. And yet he couldn't look at I this think, situation and be like, I need to get the fuck out. I th so there are two things that your brain does automatically, right? I think. Is it rejects things that are weird and it tries to make things not weird. Right? Your brain just does that automatically. That's what the... Um, 
the Uncanny Valley is about, where things get so realistic that instead of you, it's it's either side of the Uncanny Valley. When things aren't very realistic, your mind is okay making that bridge, making them normal, empathizing with them, right? But it, as they get more and more realistic, that's when you start to reject it. Because you notice all the little differences and you're like, there's something wrong with this. Like if a mouth was upside down, you know, something like that. You're like, it's it's uncanny and your brain just rejects it. <laughs> so so that's, that's like either side of the uncanny valley mm-hmm. um, where I think this is one of those moments where he's like, he, he can't quite register that things are so bad. I think he's trying to make it normal and he can't quite see the things that make it not normal and it's involuntary that makes sense that makes more sense i liked that both movies that we watched this week talked about how the only way to get rid of them is to purge by fire that's pretty awesome they set the place on fire they set the place on fire just like they say you have to in pet cemetery oh yeah uh Mm -hmm. so sad that the dude died so quickly he was pretty funny (laughs) i've got some bad news (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Naomi, what's her name? Selena's, Selena's first partner. Quote, partner, yeah. But yeah, he, so you remember I told you that Kelly Murphy's like, what's going on? What's going on? And they won't answer him. So they finally get to a safe place and they sit down. He's just like, I've got some bad news. <laughs> yeah, he was he was really clever and it was a bummer that he died. Specifically, he died at Killian Murphy's parents' house. So he died because they picked up Killian Murphy. I also like that, I mean, I know this is done in most horror movies, is that you've got to be ruthless to survive. Now, of course, that might sound like it goes in opposition of what I was saying earlier, that you need to stick together. But there's always safety in numbers unless you've got the weak link. And remember, you're only ever as strong as your weakest link. Which is why you need to be ruthless during these things and that's why when she kills the guy it might seem heartless like you don't know maybe you won't change no you gotta do that stuff and so i've been told by a lot of people when asked like you know okay if there was an apocalypse you know who would you save and i'd be like i'm sorry if you're not there with me right in that moment i hope for the best for you but i'm gonna go like if you want to survive you've got to be willing to make sacrifices And I thought that they made a great point of that. Now, that's not to say that it's wrong to not want other people. Like I said, safety in numbers and you can't give up on humanity in in total because if you do, what's the point in surviving? Right, yeah. But if you're in those moments where it's like, I I have the opportunity to survive or I can stay behind with the weakest link and... Goodbye. ...make a decision and stay with them and die, I'm not gonna do it. Sorry. Also... What the fuck is Lilt and Tango? What are these? Oh, these are drinks that yes. we don't have here in America. Sorry. I wonder what that stuff is. I wonder if like. they're even real. Yeah. Or if it's like a slurm kind of equivalent where it's, uh, they just needed a name. If anybody something. out there is from the UK. Please tell us. Yeah, please We'd like to know. know. Send us some. Selena makes a great face when she's with the father and daughter. Because the father's like, let's make, um, let's make... A toast, and he's like, cheers! And she just has this look on her face like, are you fucking serious right now? (laughs) We're gonna cheers and there's dead people running around? So speaking of cheers, when they find that grocery store in the small village that hasn't been taken up, because the whole village was wiped out before people could start looting, I think that's the point that they're making. Otherwise, why would this stuff be available? Frank, the dad, and Jim have a moment where they, they decide to bring some whiskey with them. And uh, Frank is obviously a whiskey connoisseur, which I appreciate. It is my favorite alcoholic 
beverage. He says that it is uh, it has a peaty aftertaste and takes out the fire but leaves in the warmth, which I think is a great phrase. Now, single malt, 16-year-old, tart with full flavor. Warmer, not aggressive. Peaty aftertaste. Takes out the fire but leaves in the warmth. Apparently, I didn't get a good look at it, but apparently the whiskey that he's grabbing is Lagavulin. Whiskey. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, if you watch Parks and Recreation, you should know that that's Ron's whiskey of choice, uh, where which he actually visits him, the distillery. Too. Which makes him like uh, foreigners. Yes, uh, it's the only thing that makes him like foreigners, uh, because it's Lagavulin whiskey. So, really great stuff. I liked that. I, I appreciated that. And it's so great, because at first he's like, just going to take one, and then he starts taking a bunch, and I'm like, dude. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You're just going like, to leave it here for what? This is one of those times where it doesn't matter. Take as much liquor as you want. Take all the good stuff uh-huh. that you couldn't afford, just like in the song, April 12th, 1992, by Sublime. Yeah. Finally got no, all April that liquor I can't afford. In the song. Damn it. Yeah. April 26, 1992. Also, the father has this weird theory about condensation. And how, like, if you put out plastic sheets, it'll collect the condensation in the air? I would love to know more about that. That's what happens in The Martian. Uh, You saw The Martian, right? Yes. So he he burns this particular substance, and it creates moisture in the air, and he captures that moisture with that tent that he creates. And he turns that into the water. He basically creates an irrigation system. I would love to know how to do that. And it makes it so humid in the area that it actually starts to rain. Huh. Now, you're not going to do that with what Frank's talking about, but you can collect the condensation. And he has a great line in it that I've remembered all this time. I think about it all the time when I think whenever I hear anything about rain or rain in England specifically. He goes, you wouldn't think you'd need it. Not in fucking England, because <laughs> it rains all the time. So that was, I like that line. Oh, there's a part where they go into a tunnel. And yes. I'm we we are big Stephen King fans, and it was just like, dude, you should read the shine. I mean, in the stand. Yeah, in the, the whole stand, thing. there are several times when they go into a tunnel, and it is a bad choice. And Killian Murphy's like, no, take the long way, take it out in the open, don't get caught down there. And they're like, ah, fuck it. Like, no, listen to him. He was right. He was He's totally the newbie. Right. He's the one who hasn't survived as long as you guys have. You should know this. But speaking of Stephen King, and we got Pet Cemetery beforehand. Stephen King is a really big fan of this movie. Uh, when it came out in theaters, he actually bought out an entire screen to watch it. By himself? I don't know if he brought friends or whatever, but he did. He bought out an entire showing uh, in New York City. And he paraphrased one of Selena's lines for the book Dr. Sleep, which we've read. Oh. Um, there's a line in there, he needs us more than we need him, which Selena says in this movie. They need us more than we need them. Yeah. And then the little, the girl... Later says, no, you need us just as much as we need you. And yeah. it's, a, it's a good point because, yeah, we need you to survive. You need us to keep your humanity intact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while they're in that tunnel, <coughs> um, there's a scene where all these rats come running towards them. And I'm, sta- I'm sitting there, I'm just like, dude, if rats are coming, you know that something bad's coming. Did you not see Titanic? Titanic lays it all out for you. Rats will run when, when death is coming. Yes. So rats abandon ship mm-hmm. when they know something bad's happening. 
I liked that they didn't really play music when they had scares. That was pretty great because you've most new movies these days. Like if anything happens, it's yeah. like you're more you're more like, like scared it, it, by the sound the than new, you are by what's happening. The new it did that. You know, every time there was a scare, there was like a musical stinger mm-hmm. that it's like, no, that's that's not a scare. It's not a scare. It's a surprise. Yes. And. Being surprised by something and being scared by something are two completely different things. And I remember sitting in the theater. It didn't scare me this time because I totally knew it was coming and I've seen it several times since then. But I remember sitting in the theater and jumping when that kid jumped out at him because there was no sound. So I wasn't expecting it. Mm -hmm. Also, another thing that uh, this shared with Pet Cemetery is, again, just women just always being super hysterical and emotional, like... Every decision they make ends up being based on their emotions, which was also frustrating because it's just like, Selena starts crying and I'm like, "Uh, you've kind of built her up to be this strong character and now she's crying and that sucks. And I mean, it was the same thing in Pet Cemetery when the wife is like, why does death have to exist? Why does my daughter (laughs) have to learn about death? Like, it's just like, come on. This is this is the life that you are in the middle of, like for right. for pet cemetery. And it, but it's it's she, nice it's nice in this in one respect because you know she is this really hard person. We know about her backstory. She was made this way because of the circumstances. So a little bit of her humanity shows through. And when you're crying, like that's a good thing. It shows that you still have your humanity. But why did it have to be her? Like Killian Murphy has not been as hardened. Uh, by this as everyone else has and he shows up and sees that his parents committed suicide in order to be with him hopefully and not turn and he just has no reaction he's very stoic he's sad doesn't he cry i don't i don't remember him crying i thought he cried but it was a very short scene whereas when it happens with selena she cries for a while right i didn't see i didn't notice that but exactly you didn't even you have a you have an interesting perspective i feel on this so it's nice to hear you say that. And I mean, the fact that she has to give the... I mean, I get it. It makes sense that she would give the 15-year-old girl volume to make her not... Oh, we didn't even mention that. When they're in the... We're, when they're with the soldiers and clearly they're going to be raped multiple times, she gives the little girl... Not little girl. She's a 15-year-old girl. She gives her volume. Yeah, I get it. She's about to go through something traumatic. But again, it's just it's just reinforcing the fact that women can't handle as much as men. And... In this scenario, all of a sudden, Killian Murphy gets to be this total badass, which I love. But when you contrast it to the fact that Selena just kind of accepts her fate, it's like, are you serious? She's forced to be a little motherly. Um, So I can see, yeah, there there is some some gender stereotype reinforcement going on in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. But it also, it's not like it, like it also treats the men pretty poorly, too, with the... uh, Absolutely. With the military. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, nobody gets off easy, but it is, it's a little disappointing to see it. it, it this, this movie came out in, uh, 2002. 2002. It came out in 2002. So, I mean, a lot of wokeness has happened since 2002. So, but I mean, I think it's obvious. Brits are weird and they call guns shooters, which I thought was <laughs> odd. He's got no shooter. And I'm like, so like. When we're talking about a cup, what he's got no drinker? Like, come on. Well, no, come on, we, Brits. I mean we do the same Get thing. We do the same thing too. Like, you, you know, you, people call a gun a heater. You know, like there's Get your shit together. <laughs> Get your shit together. Oh, one of the soldiers has this bizarre haircut. 
which bothered me every time he was on screen. Like, I feel like maybe it, he was, it was the result of a prank or something. Right, and Chris developed this whole backstory when I brought it up. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, why does this one soldier deserve this backstory that doesn't even actually exist for no, like, oh, just. He has this weird shave thing going on. Like it looks like an accident or a prank of some sort. And there's a great line. So she's on Valium, right? The 15-year-old girl. And Selena's like, come on! Like, we gotta get out of here. And she picks her up. And I remember hearing this in the theater. I remember it just as I was listening to it. She goes, whoa! And it's pretty great. Uh, The 15-year-old girl, whatever happened to your acting career, that was awesome. Hannah is her name, by the way. Yes. We got through this whole thing and we haven't called her by her name. Hannah. And then when Killian Murphy becomes a total badass, at one point he walks into a room and this soldier is like, I don't have any bullets, please just help me. And, and once he realizes he's not a threat because he doesn't have any bullets, he's just like, fuck you, dude, see you later, bye. Yeah, he pieces <laughs> See you later, bye. Uh, he just pieces out and lets the dude get eaten. He's like, no, you're going to die, but I'm not going to kill you. Yeah. Um, you're no threat to me, but you still need to die. Because you're a bastard. In a way, it's almost worse. Yeah, so it was pretty great. Highly recommend it. Okay, here it comes. Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. What do you think? I would guess 85%. 87? Really close. Okay, so do you think it's overrated or underrated? Oh, no. I think it's pretty much right on with what I would have graded it. I'd probably give it an A-, minus. actually. That's so how much I like this movie. That would be underrated, then. You think 87 is a little low. But I can understand why people would have problems with it. Right, right, no, I can I, see where problems so, could rise. So the first response, your 85 guess, is what you think everyone else would say. What I think but everyone else would say. But based on what you think of it, do you think 87 minus. is too low? I guess yeah, so. Yeah, uh-huh. okay. All right, okay. So it's a little underrated, but it's pretty close, 87%. Mm-hmm. So good, good, good. All right, so that is 2002's 28 Days Later. That wraps up our first episode of Pod Cemetery. We did Pet Cemetery and 28 Days Later. Next week... We're going to do what? Listeners, we just saw Mother. Mother, yes. We were planning on doing Mother and Rosemary's Baby, but after seeing Mother, I think we're going to change that decision. We might come back to it later. Maybe. But we've we've had some issues with it. But so the, the next, next episode... one that we're supposed to do, which should will be next week, An American Werewolf in London and Bug. Yes. So uh, before you... Watch or listen to the next episode. Go ahead and watch those two movies. I have never seen Bug, yes, and I'm very I, excited to show it to him. <laughs> and I particularly love American Werewolf in London. Another one of my favorites. Right. So I'm really excited about this next episode. So wait, we need to give them our email and our Twitter, account. which I don't have right now. So we're gonna have to do that. <laughs> uh, let's say podcemetery at gmail.com. And Twitter at Pod Cemetery. If I can't get those, I'll edit this to correct it. Woohoo! All right. So uh, until next time, say something, Kels. Until next time, don't be buried in a pet cemetery because you don't want to live your life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life.
what do you call them? Pills for your butt. Yes. What are they called? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. Anyway. No, hold on, hold on. I'm going to edit this. Oh, man. Don't Google butt pills. 